ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What is going on, everybody, and welcome. I am Steven Rizzotto. I cover the San Francisco Giants for SF Bay. And I'm the host of RizzoCast, a podcast that features current and former big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the brightest minds around the game of baseball today. And today's guest is Jason Panini. Jason is a former pro scout for the Minnesota Twins organization. And I've had many guests on over the past few years that have provided some solid information um, and this conversation is among the top of that list. Uh, we've truly got the feel of a scouting 101 course here. Uh, and Jason started as a baseball blogger, independently writing scouting reports on his own for some of the bright young prospects around the game. And then after a brief stint scouting the independent leagues uh, with the Brewers, Jason was hired by the Twins in 2020 and spent three seasons with the organization before stepping away from baseball uh, just a few weeks ago, actually. So he's looking for the next uh, kind of journey in his life. If you want to know about the daily life of a scout, what they're looking for from a talent standpoint, how they incorporate analytics, et cetera, et cetera, this is the RizzoCast episode for you. We talk about Jason's journey coming up next. This is episode number 129. Let's get started. All right, we are here with Jason Panini, and Jason is kind enough to join RizzoCast. Jason, how you doing? Welcome. And I almost said Happy New Year because that's something that I like constantly say now, even though it's January 18th. But uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. This is a, a cool chance to get to talk some baseball. Yeah, no, most definitely. And um I guess hopping right in here, uh, I mentioned in, in the intro that, you know, you were a pro scout with the twins and I was interested in your background because, you know, I looked and and it looked like you started off kind of as like a baseball blogger doing your own thing, kind of on a freelance basis, discussing prospects. What is kind of your baseball background? And I guess like, how did, how did it escalate to like you working for a team? Yeah, that's uh. I guess I sort of have like an unconventional um, background for a scout. So when I was, when I turned 30, um, I was working in financial services and, you know, in college I studied economics and, and I just wanted to try something different. And, um, you know, I made, made the decision, I'm going to uh, try to get into baseball. And um, basically I quit my job. I had a, a townhouse in Denver, Colorado, and I sold it. And I just said, you know, I'm going to make a Faustian bargain and uh, see if I, with the baseball gods, so to speak. And um, I'm going to try for a couple of years and try networking. And I, you know, went to probably 200 games a year, maybe 220. And um, I just saw a ton of baseball and talked to scouts and tried learning from people. Um, I uh, think it was. It was April of 2018. Um, 
I was shooting video for 2080 Baseball, which is a, a great site um, if you're not familiar with it. Um, they do really good uh, prospect analysis on um, amateur guys, and um, that's really like their focus. But um, I was shooting video for those guys at a game in um, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I bumped into a scout with the Milwaukee Brewers, and he asked me if I had interest in scouting independent league baseball for them that summer. And um, did I have any, um, you know, sample scouting reports or anything like that? So I sent him over some sample reports and um, we got to talking, like we went to a couple of series together. One was in uh, Winston-Salem, one was in Hickory. And um, at the Hickory series, he basically said, well, can you move to, uh, the Chicago area in two weeks to scout indie ball. And I said, sure, like, let's do it. I'm in. Um, so, you know, for a summer, I scouted indie ball, um, the Frontier League and American Association for the Brewers, um, just as an associate scout. So, you know, I wasn't um, officially part of the Brewers, but I was kind of working on a contract basis. And then um, from there, it was, yeah, it was a lot of blogging. Um, started a website called Prospects Live um, with some some buddies and um, was sort of like a co-founder of the website and um, did that for a year. And um, I was out in Arizona scouting the Arizona League rookie ball and um, just sort of scouting it on my own and doing write-ups and scouting reports and posting it onto Prospects Live. And um, at the end of the year, I sort of did like a kind of like a capstone top 100 um, Arizona rookie ball prospects list. And um, it just tied in everything that I had done throughout the course of the year. And, um, you know, after that, um, a, um, a friend of mine, uh, Eric Longenhagen, reached out and um, I bumped into Eric at Fields a bunch. And, um, you know, he let me know that the, the twins were looking to, to hire a pro scout to basically do what I had been doing the previous season um, for prospects live. And, um, you know, uh, a week or two later I interviewed and um, that was sort of the progression and um, how I got into the industry. Um, yeah, it was a lot of blogging and um, kind of working on my own and trying to network with people and talk to scouts and, um, you know, see if I could learn from their process. And really it was trial by error. I was really, really bad at this when I started and, you know, learning how to scout is there's no rule book for doing it. You just kind of have to get out there and get your reps in. And um, eventually over time, like you pick things up and your eyes get in tune to, you know, what's good bat speed or this guy moves like this position group or things like that. Um, there's definitely a, you know, blink aspect to it where um, you kind of get a, like a visceral um, impression of what you see from the field. And it just takes hours and hours and hours and a lot of practice and a lot of reps to um, get good at that. So, um, yeah, really, it was uh, kind of just getting out there and, um, you know, trying to learn from other people. And, you know, you surround yourself with people that are better than you at um, whatever you're trying to learn and kind of you can learn some things through osmosis so to speak um yeah so sorry that was probably too long-winded but um that was sort of like the background info like how I got into doing this 
No, that's great. And, and, you know, I think the common assumption among scouts is like, Oh, they get to sit and watch baseball and, and they get to like share their thoughts on baseball. And of course it's much more than that. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, maybe it's a little different between pro and, and pro scout and amateur scout. Uh, so I guess that's another question. What is the difference between, cause we hear amateur scout and pro scout. So in simple terms to people that may not know, what would be the difference between those two? Yeah, I mean, the primary difference is, um, you know, the amateur scouts are preparing teams for the draft. So, you know, they're going out to high school and college games and, um, you know, assessing talent and trying to figure out where do these guys slot into our draft plan versus um, the pro department, the team that I was on. Um, we are focused on players who are already in the minor leagues. Um, my role was primarily rookie ball. So, you know, it was a lot of young um, international signees, you know, 17 to 20, kind of in that range and um, assessing how much do we like these guys um, in, you know, for potential trades or um, also, you know, kind of back end of roster 40 man guys who might get released or let go, um, you know, um, how did, are any of these guys worth going after um, and should we add them? So it was sort of a combination of those things, but, you know, pro scouts are evaluating players already in the minor leagues. Um, and then amateur scouts are assessing amateurs, high school, college kids, um, trying to figure out where do the, those guys slot into um, the draft. Now does like, do you get, do you get um directed to go somewhere? Do you decide on your own? It's like, oh, okay, let's go catch this, you know, rookie ball game in Arizona or let's go to Florida, you know, and hang out. Or 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 like is that coming from the higher up in the organization and they say, Hey, we want you to go check out this person? Uh, or do you just like aimlessly because like the vision that I had it was like they aimlessly like drive around in their cars looking for like random baseball game. I guess that maybe is more of the amateur side. Pro side, is there a little bit more direction on like where you're going and what you're like supposed to be looking for? There's definitely I'd say there's more direction. Um, it wasn't aimless at all. It was tactical and um, strategic as to who's seeing what and basically um, certain scouts are assigned like certain teams to cover. There's like sort of different models within baseball, um, different teams do it differently. So like some teams have um, coverage that is essentially like regional. So like um, they'll have like, you know, a guy in Arizona, a guy in Florida, a guy in California, and like, that's their region. They're going to cover pro scouting activities in that region. And then um, other teams have more, it's called org based coverage. So, you know, a scout will be responsible for all the NL West teams. And then some other scout will be responsible for covering all the whatever AL East teams. And then they'll have those teams from top to bottom. So like they have to cover, you know, um, rookie ball all the way up through, you know, triple A or whatever for those teams. Um, and then other, other teams have somewhat of a hybrid system where it's, you know, somewhat regional and then also somewhat org based. So um, there's sort of like two to three different models as to how teams attack um, their pro coverage. And um, essentially those are 
broad level, those are the models that they they use. And you mentioned like a, a little earlier that you know maybe you're you're checking guys' bat speed, uh, you know how they move on the field when you're at a game. Like when you're when you're at a game, like what are you looking for? What are the traits? Because I know a lot of young uh, people listen to this this podcast and um, they're always like trying to, you know, wonder what scouts want uh, when they're playing. And I guess what are some of the main traits that you look for in a young player? Is it because I know it used to be arm, you know, if a guy didn't have an arm, he was crossed off or whatnot. What is it that you're, you know, you, Jason Panini, is looking for when you're watching a baseball game? Yeah, so um, I think really, for one, like as a pro scout, um, when you're in the core of your season, it's a difficult job because you need to, you write up every player that you see. So um, there's this process you go through where essentially you're bucketing players into groups. You're trying to figure out you know, for me, I'd say at the rookie ball level, they're probably 20% of the players deserved 80% of my attention. So, you know, I went through a process of essentially, you're kind of trying to quickly bucket players into groups. For example, um, basically, I'd say, you know, a veteran scout kind of gave me this wisdom and I'm going to regurgitate it for you and um, your listeners. But I thought this was great advice. So, you know, there are players who have um, kind of good skills, good results. There are players that have bad skills, good results. There are players with bad skills, bad results who are easy cross-offs, right? And there are players with good skills, bad results. And basically you are kind of bucketing players into all these groups and um, you're figuring out, you're trying to figure out where to focus your attention, but also um, at the end of the day, you're looking for transferable skills, okay? You're looking for which players maybe are are performing and I expect them to perform versus better competition because they have the underlying tools to that are going to play um, versus upper minors to major league caliber competition. Certain guys are going to perform, but you know, I don't, if say, say you're looking at a college pitcher who's facing, you know, younger hitters in a ball or low A and um, he's dominating, but he's throwing 88 and is more command oriented and is sort of, uh, you know, sequencing well and using um, pitchability and guile to get by, you know, it's that's a profile I'd be a little more wary of um, than a guy who has bigger raw stuff. Um, that's just an example of a player who, you know, maybe is getting good results but doesn't have the underlying skills um, commensurate with the the stat line. Um, so, you know, you're trying to parse through players and figure out who's real and who's not real. Um, that's essentially, you know what I was doing at the field. Have you ever like, well, like what is the shortest amount of time that you've been at a game? Like, do you ever, <laughs> and this is like a, like a scenario where, you know, maybe you go and see someone 
and it's just like right off the bat like you realize there's no point in being here again this might just be an amateur scout thing when they're going and seeing a guy in high school who like you know has horrible work ethic and it's obvious and it displays in his you know body language or whatnot but have you ever just like left the game like or i guess the the question i should ask is how long do you stay do you stay for the entirety of the game or like do you leave early if you've seen enough I mean, I'd say 99.9% of the time, like I would stay for the full game. Um, You don't know who's going to come in or, you know, what kind of looks you might get at the end of the game that might be worth seeing. I think, uh, I do think it's a little different in the amateur environment versus the pro environment. Um, You know, these, the the guys who are doing work on the amateur side, um, they have really big territories to cover and, maybe there's two guys who are interesting pitchers throwing the same night. And, you know, one guy, whatever, threw, threw his five innings and he got pulled and, you know, they have a chance to see the second guy at another field, like, you know, that same night, or there are just more scenarios that I think could come up in a, you know, amateur environment um, than a pro environment in terms of like leaving games early. Um, yeah, I think I think the majority of the time it's sort of worth sticking it out um, at a pro game and, um, you know, just because you don't know what you're going to see type of thing. Yeah, and, and you kind of started with the Twins at a bit of a weird time, like the pandemic was just happening and like that must be like the worst, I wouldn't say the worst, but that must be a very challenging time to be a pro scout when the minor leagues are canceled you know you have guys at the alternate training site and then you don't have guys at the alternate training site you know so like what were you doing during the pandemic when when everything was seemingly canceled the big leagues had 60 game seasons did that like derail quite a bit that's a great question so i mean the my first year with the twins, it was definitely more uh, heavy on video scouting than um, my last, you know, the last couple of seasons. So yeah, a lot of video scouting, um, kind of learning to use some of the different um, video software that, um, you know, the the twins used. And um, it was, you know, I'm not going to lie. I I was sort of like chomping at the bit to get out there. I was excited to like get started and like, you know, kind of prove that I was worth hiring. Like I wanted, I wanted the team to feel vindicated, like they had made a good decision um, in giving me an opportunity. And um, so, yeah, that, that first year was hard. I, you know, I wanted to get out there, but I, you know, under, at the same time understood um, with COVID happening and everything, um, why it just, why, why we couldn't be out there in person. Is the, the first half of the season, of the big league season is that like where you get most of your your in-person work done so it's like you know obviously leading up until the trade deadline i feel like the trade deadline and maybe the weeks prior to the deadline might be the busiest do i have that right you know i actually was busy from really march through thanksgiving essentially so you know i don't i don't have the exact number but but there was pretty rarely a day I didn't work. I mean, I I probably put in 70 or 80 hour weeks from March to um, Thanksgiving. And, you know, like there's 
there's spring training, there's extended spring training, and then the rookie ball season starts after extended. And then um, following rookie ball season, we had instructs. So, you know, there's sort of always something to see out here in Arizona, um, you know, following instructs, Arizona Fall League, and that kind of gets you up to, you know, basically middle of November. Um, and I just felt like it's a privilege to work in baseball and it's a privilege to be a scout. You know, there's only a finite number of scouting jobs in the industry. And, you know, to be lucky enough to have one of those jobs was, it was awesome. And um, I didn't want to ever feel like I left anything on the table and there was, you know, games happening, information to be gleaned from going to games. I mean, you just, like I said, you don't want to feel like you left anything on the table and um, maybe you didn't do as good of a job as you could have. So, you know, I was, I was constantly out seeing things for that reason. Um, I think part of it too is, you know, if I'm sitting on a team for a week during the uh, rookie ball season, that's five games on a team. Well, I'm going to write up reports on those guys after the five game look. And however, I'm also drawing from previous looks. Maybe I saw the, some of those same players in, you know, earlier in the season during extended spring training, the previous season during instructs. So that database of looks that you build up over time is going to help you when you have your, you know, short five game stretch to write up, you know, every player on that team. So um, I think a big piece of it for me was trying to, you know, build up that database of looks because it's going to help you um, in that short period of time when, okay, now you have to write up 30 or 40 players off of a five game look. So, you know, that's incredibly difficult having something articulate to say about that number of players from that short of a look. Um, and having the background info from, even if they were just short looks, um, in extended in the previous season during instructs, you know, all of those previous looks add a little bit to the puzzle and are kind of a part of the equation. So, um, you know, I think for that reason, you know, I was very much busy, um, you know, if baseball's happening, I was out seeing something and and busy is how I'd describe it. Yeah, well, that's a good thing for sure. And and whenever December comes around, like I always think about the Rule Five Draft, and I think of it as just like, and and maybe it's like different from an organizational standpoint, but I always think of it as like something that like baseball would kind of like it almost seems like it would be better off without the rule five draft like there, i feel like there wouldn't be much of a difference without it i could be wrong it could just be like talking out of my behind when i say that but it just seems like it's just like an added thing on top like i, I don't know about you but i always play out of the park baseball like out of the park baseball is like my like go-to like i could spend hours playing it and I always turn off the rule five draft because I don't want to worry about it. And it doesn't really change much for me. It's so like, is, is, I know you like the rule five draft. It's a chance, I guess, for, for pro scouts to kind of, you know, flex a little bit, show off their skills, but like, is baseball better off without the rule five draft or not? Like what, what is your just in general interpretation of, of the rule five draft and its meaning? 
Well, I think I think the draft is a good thing. I mean, it gives some players an opportunity who maybe were blocked in the organization they're in to um, get get a chance with another org. So, I mean, honestly, I think that's what the Rule Five draft is all about. And um, you know, you don't you don't want to see players um, who maybe are MLB capable getting stuck in the upper minors. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that was the whole impetus of the rule five draft. And I think from that perspective, it's a, it's a good thing. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I think it's, I'm in favor of it and hopefully uh, JJ Cooper with BA isn't listening to this podcast because he loves the rule five draft. <laughs> yeah. He's not coming on anymore. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, so <laughs> I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned like 2020, you did a lot of video scouting, uh, like how much is data and statistics and, you know, analytics, how much is that incorporated into like scouting? Cause again, everybody like has seen Moneyball at this point, the movie. And like, when I read the book, I was like, God, is this like the same thing as the movie? Is it like really based? Cause like the book and like the, the, the movie were like two different things, but anyhow, that's neither here nor there, but everybody like remembers from the movie, the scene where it's like, you know, the, the head scout had just gotten fired and he's like, you're trying to, you know, use Google boy here, you know, Jonah Hill's just sitting there on the side, but like everybody like wonders if, if scouting is like solely like old school scouting, we think of the eye test and it's like, okay, well, Billy bean, someone screwed up because they only saw him. And, you know, nowadays, you know, colleges, especially like really good, college programs they have the rap soto they have the track man they have some of the accessible analytics and the the data do you use your eyes like first and then look at the statistics do you combine them do you look at the statistics first and then the eyes like what is that combination on how you incorporate i guess numbers and data into your work i think this this sort of speaks to um you know, what you want to know going into a look, right? Um, which was one of the things we kind of exchanged a couple of messages about on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I, I think there's sort of two schools of thought um, for what you want to know going into a look, okay? So um, one side of the spectrum is, hey, you want to go in completely blind. You don't want to know anything because, um, basically you're avoiding confirmation bias. Like if you, if you know too much about a player, like specific details of their scouting report, how they're viewed in the industry, then that's going to be sort of like your default mindset going into a look. And you don't want to have a default mindset at all. You just want to, um, go in with a clean slate and, you know, by going in blind and knowing nothing, um, you're truly giving yourself a clean slate and, um, you know, giving yourself an opportunity to trust your eyes, go in with a fresh look and 100% go off what your eyes are telling you based in that look. Um, you know, the second school of thought, the flip side of that coin is, would be knowing everything ahead of time, right? So, um you know, there's some pluses potentially to that as well, which would be basically knowing where to focus your attention and which players um, you should narrow in on. So, you know, like I gave the example, if I sat on a team for five days, 
now I have to write up 30 players. Well, I better know which of the 30 guys deserve my attention the most. And, you know, knowing more information ahead of time lets me, would let me focus in on, hey, maybe there's five out of these 30 guys that, you know, kind of have the most potential and they deserve more of my mental focus than the rest of the guys. So, you know, by knowing more information ahead of time, um, it lets you prioritize your attention. So I think, um, you know, in the spectrum of kind of going in blind versus trying to know everything, um, the more I did this, the more I sort of gravitated towards, you want to know more um, without having your opinion tainted. So, you know, I'd want to know things like the obvious, you know, I would fill out my scouting template, height, weight, name, date of birth. Um, but then also stuff like bonus size. Like I want to know how much these guys signed for, um, where they went to school, you know, what state are they from? You know, like if it's a high school kid from, um, the North versus a high school kid from Southern Cali or Florida, well, the high school kid from the North is going to be relatively less polished. And that's sort of important information to know going into a look. Um, so, you know, I, I think you, I think you want to kind of know as much as possible without reading like an actual report on the player. Um, you know, even for pitchers, I want to know what pitches do they throw? Um, Sometimes I would look up video ahead of time to like look at their mechanics. And then um, I would go to the field and then I would notice, oh, wow, like they changed something from the video from uh, last fall or, you know, they're, they're making tweaks. So I think that prep work ahead of time can give you some insight into even some player development stuff like, okay, this guy, his stride direction used to be a lot more um, open and now he's striding more online or closed. Well, maybe that's something that um, they're working on and it's a deliberate change or um, in general, I think knowing more is better as long as you're not reading like someone's specific report on a player where now you have a preconceived notion. I mean, you're really trying to avoid that but also otherwise know as much as possible. Um, yeah, so I guess how this ties into the analytics is um, you kind of, you, when you get to the field, you form like a first impression on the player and that's important. However, you need to like contextualize your look. So, um, you're going to see a guy, you're going to draw conclusions from what you saw. However, you may have got that guy. You may have seen the best three games of his life. You may have seen the worst three games of his life. So the video, the data, everything else is going to help you figure out like which version of that player did you get in your live look? And how does that fit into kind of his body of work as a whole? And, um, for me, that's the value in kind of looking at the data, looking at the video um, ex post facto. You're figuring out, you know, kind of which 
which version of that player did I get when I saw him live? And um, for me, that's invaluable as a scout. Um, sometimes you get weird looks, like you just, you get a weird look at a guy and you're like, eh, I don't know, like if he's as good as I saw him or as bad. And, um, you know, looking at the higher level, you know, performance, trends, data, um, over a broader body of work is it's going to really clue you in as to um, which which guy you saw live um, so to me that's the that's the value of the data and the analytics it's an awesome um, I guess from a scouting perspective I would say it's it's awesome supplemental information to what I saw live um, so I know that was sort of like a, a long-winded uh, meandering answer, but I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and it leads me into this next point because, like, I I always I was thinking about the other day the uh, there's a Cardinals prospect that during the Futures game he was playing shortstop and threw a ball to first that was registered at like 99.7 miles an hour on Statcast, and like you as a scout, like you could write, you know, this guy has a plus arm right? Do you need the number two? Like, do you need the 100 miles an hour two? like as further evidence or could you do without one, you know, can you do without the number and just put, you know, this guy's a plus arm? I mean, I think, uh, you know, more descriptions better. So if I, you know, if I saw him and wanted to say, you know, if you're throwing that hard, that's probably like 80 arm strength, right? Um, 70 or 80, whatever, like, you know, you're sort of splitting hairs. It's, he has a phenomenal arm. So um, at the end of the day, if you put that strong of a grade, I think it's kind of understood to be, you know, this guy could throw really hard. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it hurts putting in the extra description um, just to add color to it. I guess that would be my take on it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so I teased makeup. Now I'm going to ask it. We hear this term makeup. We hear it on draft night. We hear it like, you know, when we talk about like prospects all the time, what is makeup? Cause I feel like it's such a, like a, it's such a term that has so many variables to it. So many meanings. Like I always thought that it was maybe how crisp or, or how polished a guy is. And then I heard another one where it's like, oh, it's about his personality, how he works well under pressure, how he handles himself, how he acts like he's been there before, all that stuff. But what actually is makeup? Like, how can we know what it is? And what is your take on that? Yeah, so um, I guess for me, people define it in different ways. I think that's why it sometimes, you know, I guess from an outsider perspective, it can be viewed as this like nebulous thing because you hear people use it in a lot of um, different contexts, but um, I guess for me, the things I care about most with makeup are, um, you know, do guys, how much do they love baseball and are they willing to work hard, refine their craft? Do they play hard on field? Do they get along well with their teammates? Um, for me, those are critical components to makeup. Um, and I think another piece that is really important is like response to failure. You know, um, a lot of these guys, high school kids, they're the best kid on their high school team and they're not used to failing. 
And um, some have a more resilient mindset than others. They're like, all right, well, I struck out, but I'll get them next time kind of thing versus like some guys are truly dejected. And, um, you know, one thing I tried my best at doing when I was scouting was kind of like reading player body language. Like, I really want to see like, um, when this guy has a bad outing, like, how does he look? Like, does he seem like it bothered him or not? Or does it seem like, all right, like this pitcher had a crappy inning, but then he came out next inning and like, he just, he had a short memory and like, he really pitched well. Like to me, that says something, um, you know, I think, I think you're just basically looking for, do guys work hard and are they good teammates are, you know, two really important makeup things. If, you know, if, if you're looking at a guy who projects as a backup catcher, for example, well, you know, he better have good makeup because um, it's just a position where there are going to be other guys with comparable amounts of talent. And why would you ever take the guy with bad makeup and who has similar talent to the guy with, you know, um, kind of backup catcher potential, but good makeup. So like there's sort of a filtering process um, depending on, you know, how, how talented a player is. Um, so yeah, I, I think for me, that's, that's what makeup means to me. Um, maybe get slightly different, different definitions from all 10. Um, but that's how I would define it. Yeah, and I actually had uh, Dan O'Dowd on the podcast, who's obviously, for those that don't know, Dan O'Dowd, former Rockies GM. He was an executive with the uh, with Cleveland before, and now he's working at MLB Network, and he does a great job. And he came on, and, and he was telling me about this like reward system that he has that he pictures and hopes that baseball and professional baseball adopts. And it's it's teaching stuff that, you know... it. I'm trying to describe this in simplest terms possible, but he mentioned Mookie Betts as an example. And Mookie Betts was a guy who like came from a, a very, you know, not very well-known high school program and Betts had really good bat to ball skills. And when he turned pro, he started to develop the power. Right. And, and now I guess on the opposite end of that, we have a guy like, you know, I'm going to use him because I know he's a, a, a poster child for this Joey Gallo, a guy who, you know, good power hitter but now i guess now he's trying to to you know learn what mookie betts had when he turned i don't know if that makes sense like can is it easier for hitters to develop power when or to develop a good hit tool when they have power already but don't have the other stuff or when they have the you know the bat to ball skills and not the power yet i don't know if that makes sense i think i kind of described it like really backwards but it's kind of like, you know, a guy that knows the strike zone who could spray the ball all over the field, but, you know, doesn't have the power yet. Could that be developed like later on at the big league level? Great question. I'm probably, to be honest, not the best suited person to answer this question. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is more of like a, a player development question. Um, my, I would probably lean towards the contact guy who um, maybe has a chance to add power versus the power guy um, who you're hoping the hit tool takes a step forward. Um, 
but you know, I, that's more of like a philosophical thing um, on my part. And uh, you know, as a scout, I'm not work, I'm not working with players to try to make those improvements. Um, that to me, that kind of falls under um, like player development's mm -hmm. purview. So, you know, if you ever get a, a player development person on here, I'll, I'll tune in and I'll listen to what they have to say there. I defer to them. They're the experts at this. Yeah, I know that makes sense. And 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 the other example he used was um, a pitching example. And he's like, yeah, Shane, you know, Shane Bieber, a walk on at Santa Barbara, had a fastball like 88, 91, 88 to 91 with like fringe to average breaking stuff. And he, he mentioned that, like, you know, that guy might have more, um, I guess, promise in the big leagues than a guy who just has a good arm and is more of a thrower than a pitcher. So, yeah, I don't know. That that probably is a good question for, for a player development person. Uh, but I guess for you as a scout, do you feel like you could get much more creative with pitching on the pitching side of things? Like, do you ever you know, project forward towards like, okay, this guy's mixing up his pitches really well, but his slider is a pitch that if he uses it more, and I'm thinking about it now, this could also be a player development thing, but his slider, you know, sticks out, you know, and if he could throw this slider like 50% of the time, that might be a, an a egregious example, then we might have something here. Or, you know, do you, do you feel like you could get a little bit more creative with pitching in that way? I mean, I think on both sides, pitchers and hitters, you are you're hyper aware of what changes might they make. You know, I think it goes back to this idea of like player bucketing. There are these guys who have good skills and bad results, and you're trying to figure out what tweak can they make. You know, is there what changes? Um, maybe there's a change to their swing they can make. Maybe they're um they're they have good results um swinging at one place in the zone but they don't swing there enough and um that's they have there's an opportunity for them to um make a change there or you alluded to pitchers with their pitch mix maybe they have like a really effective secondary pitch and they only throw it 10 percent of the time well that's a you know maybe there's room for them to increase their usage and now they're a more effective player going forward. So yeah, I think, I think as a scout, the way I would look at it is I would acknowledge it's a room, it's a place for them to improve potentially. Um, however, I'm not going to put in my report that they, this player has an opportunity to get better. Therefore they're going to make that change. They're, you don't want to take it for granted because a lot of guys have things they could hypothetically tweak to get better, but not all of them are going to successfully make that tweak. Um, I do think to some degree it ties into the idea of makeup and why makeup's so important. Those guys with good makeup, they have a better chance to bridge those gaps, correct those flaws and um, to reach their ceilings. Um, so, yeah, I, it's something you definitely need to be um, cognizant of as a scout. And, you know, we're scouting's very, very multifaceted. We're sort of quasi experts in a lot of fields. We're not the true experts, but 
we need to know enough about player development, about biomechanics, about even physiology. Like, how's this 17-year-old's body going to fill out as he ages? Um, you know, we already alluded to data and analytics. I mean, we're not experts at any of these things per se, but we need to know a little bit about all of these fields and understand how it, how we should incorporate it into our evaluations. Um, so to me, that's what I really, what I really loved about scouting is just so much goes into an evaluation and um, how do you basically take all those pieces of information and um, integrate them to your into your assessment of a player um it's pretty fascinating i i love the job i'm, I'm really gonna miss it it was uh such a fun job yeah a few more things here before we wrap but that takes me right into this next point um like why was it time to leave because i know uh for those that don't know jason just left uh the twins uh after what was it three seasons there two seasons there why was it time for for a change for you professionally I, you know, have a lot of respect for the the Twins organization, and you know they they gave me my first shot um, at a full time scouting job, and you know I'll I'll, I'll be forever grateful um, for that opportunity. I think you know broad level what it came down to for me was um, you know I I've essentially I've done this. Um, this job the past kind of four years in a row. I'm a person who is sort of always looking for the next challenge and looking for the next thing. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a very curious person and, um, you know, I, I wanted, I made a, a decision that I wanted to um, just learn something outside of baseball. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, in a just pursuit for knowledge type thing. Um, I, you know, I do think I just want to give a shout out to really everyone working in baseball because this is a field where you put in a lot of work and it's a lot of hours. You know, I think from a, a work-life balance perspective, you know, I'm, I'm almost 36 years old and I started to think about, hey, you know, if I want to settle down, have kids and have a family, how does that fit into um, a bit have, you know, working full time as a baseball scout? And it's a it's a field where work life balance is hard to come by. And it's not just scouts. It's um, front office people, analysts in the office. It's it's everybody. It's a, you know, very demanding line of work. And I loved it. Um, it was such a fun career and such such a fun um field to work in but it at the same time it's it is very demanding and um you know i started to think about my life um through a broader picture and um kind of made the assessment that you know in the next few years um i think i i'm kind of chasing more like a balance too um thought process so hopefully that answered your question yeah no well that's awesome and and, and you've been awesome on this man I, I really appreciate the time and i think uh, we, we covered a lot of bases there and 
I'm sure the listeners uh, got a lot out of this. So Jason, man, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a blast. Thanks for having me and uh, listening to my ramblings. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no place I'd rather be. And I'm honest about that. And and has anybody ever told you real quick, has anybody ever told you that like, and, and I just, I listen all the time to Effectively Wild. Has anybody ever told you that you sound like Ben Lindbergh? I, one of my buddies told me that I sound like Ben. I don't know if I hear it or not, but uh, I'll take that as a compliment because you know Ben's phenomenal. I've I've heard some of their podcasts, and uh, I think I think Ben does a great job. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to uh, I'll have to have him on, and we'll do like a comparison thing, and and you guys could both be here, and we'll have like a panel thing, and people wouldn't know who's talking. Uh, anyways, uh, everybody could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, go check it out. And more episodes coming soon. And see you next time.